Revive, how are we doing tonight? I've heard better, that's okay. We're going to get better over the course of these next like 30, 35 minutes. Hey, um, I had a great week at Hancock Park last week. How about you guys? That was a blast. That was awesome. Um, and how weird is it that we're already talking about spring semester? Like, is that, is that wild to you guys? Does it feel like you're getting towards the end? No? Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Um, well, listen, I, um, I've loved this sermon series that we've been walking through. This is the last night of our prodigal series. Um, and I've loved this series because I've been reminded of a few things. This has been like one of my favorite um, series to study, one of my favorite series to teach. Um, I've been reminded of, of a few things. One, I've been reminded of the relentless pursuit of God after lost people. Like, like the fact that God moves towards us. He doesn't just sit back and wait on us to come to him. Uh, I've been reminded of how incredible um, of a sight it is to see uh, someone who was once lost become found. Like, uh, we've seen that take place over the course of these past few weeks. And I mean, Scripture tells us that there's a celebration that goes on in heaven every time a sinner comes to Jesus, and I've been reminded of just how incredible of a thing that that is. I've also been reminded of this, that no one can wander too far from the Father. Um, We've seen that as we've studied this parable over the past few weeks, that no matter how you walked in here, whether you've been like doing your own thing for however long, whether you feel Uh, spiritual or not, like you cannot be so far away from the Father that you will not receive an open-armed invitation to come back to Him. And every single week that we've spent studying this uh, parable, we have, have seen that truth. And, and, and if, if there's anything that I really feel like I, I've learned over the course of this parable, is that God is never done. Like, He's just not. Like, like we have seen this whole semester, people uh, making the decision to make Jesus the Lord of their life. We've seen like over 25 people make the decision to follow Jesus this semester. That's college students. Like, that's crazy. And I believe tonight that God is not done. And so I'm excited to see um, as we study this, this third week looking at the, the parable of the prodigal son, I'm excited to see how he moves tonight. Does anyone remember um, yearbooks? Anybody have a yearbook? Um, okay. Is that, are those a big thing? Like, you know, I, they were a big thing in Florida. Are, were they a big thing in Georgia, like when you were in high school? Yeah? Let's see if you guys did the same thing as me. Um, so when I got my yearbook, the first thing that I did, every, every single time, first thing that I did, you flip to the back of the yearbook. You find your name. I don't know if your yearbooks did this. And if you find your name, you can see all the different pages that your picture is featured on in the yearbook. And so what you do is you immediately start flipping through that yearbook, trying to find like all the different places that you're featured in the yearbook. And you're like, did they catch me at a terrible time? Did they catch me at a good time? Like, does my little portrait picture look awkward or do I look like, you know, I'm kind of growing up a little bit? Like all those are the questions that you ask. You're, you're immediately, as soon as you get it, you're looking for yourself in the book. And that's really like what we should do as we read the parables of Jesus, like as we, as we read Jesus teaching in the form of parables, our job is to look for ourselves in the book. And the story of the prodigal son, a lot of people do that, right? Like a lot of people will look for themselves in, in this story. 
The thing is, a lot of people, when they look for themselves in the story, uh, what, they, what they assume is that they are the prodigal. And that that's the point of the parable. Like, like, I'm the prodigal, Jesus is the father, and the point of the prodigal son parable is that I can come back to Jesus. And that's actually not the point of the prodigal son. Like, that's true, don't get me wrong. That is 100% true, but tonight I hope that we see that the point of the parable of the prodigal son, it's not actually the prodigal son. And here's why. If you look back at the beginning of Luke chapter 15, which that's where we'll be tonight, Luke chapter 15, um, if you look back at like verses 1 and 2, Jesus is having a conversation with a group of people called the Pharisees. Now, if you know anything about the Pharisees, you know this, that they are like the religious elites, or so they think they are. They really value religious activity because, because they want to feel and seem more spiritual than everyone else. And so Jesus, he, he's in a conversation with these Pharisees, and the, the Pharisees, they come to Jesus, and they accuse him of really breaking God's law. They say, Jesus, you make these claims to be God, but here you are breaking God's law by spending all of your time around tax collectors and prostitutes and thieves, around, around sinners, they say, you can't be who you claim to be, but spend your time around people like that. And Jesus' response to them is to tell this story, the story of the prodigal son. Now, that's not the name that Jesus gave it. That's a name that, that we gave it since the Bible um, has been written. But Jesus tells this parable, and he tells it brilliantly. He tells it in such a way that the Pharisees, would see themselves in the story. But he didn't want the Pharisees to see themselves as the prodigal son. Because the prodigal son's not what the parable of the prodigal son's about. Really, what he wanted the, the, the Pharisees to see is he wanted to see themselves in the shoes of the older brother. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. We're going to be looking at the older brother. See, I believe tonight that God wants to speak to people who, who look a little bit less like the prodigal. You know, maybe you're not like living wild, like living recklessly, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll. Like maybe that's not you. Maybe you look a little bit less like the prodigal and you look a little bit more like the older brother. Somebody who has their stuff together. Somebody who does the right things. Maybe tonight you look a little bit more like the older brother. Well, I think God has a word uh, for, for people like that tonight. See, here's the danger about the older brother. The older brother was actually, at the end of the story, he was even further from his father than the prodigal son. Because the prodigal son like came back. The prodigal son came back to his father. Yeah, sure, he turned his back on his father, but he came back. And if we fast forward to the end of the story of the prodigal son, you, you notice the older brother, he, he doesn't even go to the party. Like there's this big party that they throw for the prodigal son, and the older brother never steps foot inside it. Here, here's the truth about the older brother. Like the older brother, what's true of him is that with his words and his actions, he, he said that he loved God, that he loved the Father, but his heart was far from him. And my fear would be tonight that there are people here 
who are under the impression that their heart is close to the Father, but really they're far from Him. Which is why tonight we're going to take a a, a more in-depth look at the older brother. So tonight I want to give you this. I want to give you two mindsets of the older brother that we'll see in this story. Two mindsets of the older brother, and and we'll start reading um, in verse 25. So in, uh, in verse 25 of chapter 15, we read, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry, and and get this, he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. And we'll, we'll stop right there. If you're just now joining us in this sermon series, let me give you a quick recap, and then I'll explain what we just read. Basically, at this point in the story, there was a father, and that father had two sons. One of the sons basically looks at the father and and says, with all intents and purposes, I wish you were dead. I want your inheritance for myself. And so the father, he gives the son uh, his inheritance, and the son takes it, and according to God's word, the son takes that inheritance, and he goes and squanders it on reckless living. I mean, he makes an absolute fool of himself. He realizes that in that life that he was pursuing, that life is really not found. And, he, and that real life is only found uh, when you're in close relationship to the father. And so the son makes the decision to go back to the father. And as we've seen week after week after week, the father welcomes the prodigal son back with open arms. Uh, an, an invitation, an open invitation for the son to come back to him. So much so, the father, he was out looking for the son. He wasn't just sitting back waiting on the son to come to him. And the father, uh, he, he embraces the son. He gives him a huge hug. He kisses him. He says, get a robe, put a robe around his shoulders, put a ring on his finger, put shoes on his feet, because this son of mine was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. Kill the fattened calf. Let's throw a party. And what we just read, meanwhile, like that's how some of, your, uh, some of your translations would start this next section as it focuses on the, on the older brother. Meanwhile, the older brother was in the field. He was working. He hears like a commotion going on. He hears the sound of music and dancing, and he's like, man. Like, what, what is that? I got to go see. He goes closer to the house. He, he hears all this, all this going on, and he asks one of his servants, like, hey, what is going on? What did I miss? And the servant begins to tell him, like, good news. The, your brother, the, the prodigal son, who, who you thought was dead, he's back. And your father is, is thrilled, and he's thrown a party. And, and that's what you're hearing. And it's like you can literally read in the story. A time that the older brother should have been rejoicing. It's like he gets angry. It's like you can, you can read it and see his face gets hot. You ever get so angry, your face just starts to get hot? You're like, what is that? Your fists clench up and you're like, I don't remember doing this. Like, like that's what is happening in this story. The older brother, he, he begins to get so upset The first mindset of the older brother that I want you to see is is this, very simple. I refuse. I refuse. 
the older brother, he was so angry that he refused to go into the party. But here's the question. What is he so angry at? What is he so angry at? Like, to answer that question, there, we, could, we could spend a lot of time on it. He's angry at a lot of things. But really, like, at the center of all of it, is he's angry at that little statement in verse 27 where it says, where that servant is telling him, he's explaining to him what happened. And the servant says, he, or in other words, the father has received him, the son, he's received him back. The older brother is upset that the prodigal son turned his back on his father and now his father is welcoming him back. It infuriates him. And you're like, man, why would you be mad at that? Well, that's a great question. And it's a question where the answer is going to reveal a lot about the heart of the older brother. It's going to reveal a lot about the heart of the Pharisee. And I think, you know, unfortunately, it might reveal a lot about the heart of some of us tonight. And the answer to that question, it really, I mean, if we're going to answer it, it starts like this. Firstly, the reason that the older brother is, is frustrated, the reason that he's mad is because he did not value the things that the father valued. The older brother did not value the things that the father valued. Look, the father was overjoyed to see the prodigal son come home. Like, it, 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 it filled his heart. He was so happy to see his son come home, but the older brother didn't care. The older brother, like, that's the least of what he is concerned about. You know, one way to tell if you've become the older brother is to ask yourself, do I value what God values? Do I value what God values? Do the things that move his heart move my heart? Do I desire to see people come to know him? Or have I grown indifferent to it? Has it just become another thing? Am I indifferent to people coming back to the Father? Or do I have a heart that is aligned with the heart of the Father where I desire to see people come back to Him? A heart that does not value what the Father values is indicative of a heart that is drifting towards the heart of the Pharisee and away from God. Do you value what God values? But there's something else going on here. It's not just that the older brother doesn't value what his father values. There, there's more. There's, there's more than that. It's not just that. It's, it's, it's actually this. Like, if he valued what his father valued, he still could have, at the very least, gone to the party. Right? Like, even if that, that brother of his, that, that prodigal son, even if he hated him, he still could have gone to the party, if nothing else, just for his father. I remember growing up. My, uh, my dad uh, has this, really my dad's side of the family, has this fascination with World War II aircraft. Like, that's just their thing. I did not say World of Warcraft. I said World War II aircraft, okay? So we had a great-grandfather that flew B-52s in World War II. It's a, it's a bomber plane. And so he flew those. My grandfather, my dad, they're like fascinated with World War II aircraft. And I remember, I, I'm like 14 years old, um, like, you know, a while back, for like 14, 13, somewhere in there. And my dad comes to me and he tells me, it's a weekend, and he's like, hey, there's some World War II planes that are coming to town. They're, they're parked at the Air Force Base in Jacksonville. And we, we like, they're, they're open for people to go and walk through them and see them. Now, 
here's the thing you need to know about me. I can, like, appreciate these planes. Like, I, I appreciate it. I think they're really cool. However, like, the fascination, you know, I, I could think of a few other things that I would like to do rather than going and spending time looking at World War II aircraft on my weekends. Like, I was 13, 14, I'd probably be, you know, rather be flying them on Call of Duty or something like that, right? And so there's plenty of things I'd rather be doing. But you know what I did that weekend? Myself, my mom, my grandmother, my grandfather, my dad, we went to see those airplanes. Why? Not because I'm like just incredibly passionate about World War II aircraft, but because my dad loves it. And because he loves it, I know that if I go, it'll make him happy. Same thing's true of the story of the prodigal son here. Like, this older brother, even if he didn't like his brother, like, like even if he didn't like the prodigal son, even if they had, like, he was number one on his beef list, like, they were not on good terms, even if he did not like him, he could have at the very least gone to the party for the, for the only reason that his father loved the son, and it would make him happy. What's really going on here is that Jesus is painting a picture of the Pharisees through this older brother. He's telling them all, like, you claim to love God in your heart. You, you claim to love God with, with your words, with your actions, but you don't really love him. If you did... You would have at the very least gone to the party. And Jesus is basically communicating to them. He's like, that's why you look at me eating with tax collectors and sinners and you get angry about it. Because if you valued what God values, you would join in on the party. But the mindset of the Pharisee, the mindset of the older brother is, I refuse. So here's the question. Do you have the heart of the Pharisee? Do you have the heart of the older brother? Do you refuse to go to the party? Here are some questions to ask yourself to search your heart, to see if this might be true of you. And, and listen, I don't want you to hear these questions and do like a surface level check. Like be honest with yourself. Are these things true of you? First question. Do you struggle to celebrate other people's victories? Do you struggle to celebrate other people's victories? Like, man, I can't believe that they got into that school. They're, like, there's no way that they should, should, should have ever gotten into that school. I, I can't believe that they passed that class. They didn't even work that hard. Like, they just got in the right group for the group project. All the other people did all the work. I cannot believe they passed that class. Or you see them out around campus. There they go. Can't believe that they drive that car. There they go, riding in daddy's money. You know, nice Jeep. Like, like you, maybe you, you felt this. These are the things that come from the heart of the Pharisee. When you can't celebrate the victories of other people, those beliefs they are rooted in one of two things. Either one, uh, you think that you deserve what that other person has because for some reason in your mind, you think that you're better than them. Like you literally think that the thing that is happening to them, that you deserve for it to happen to you because you're a little bit better than them. And even though you might not say that with your mouth, that's what you feel in your heart. That's the first thing. It's the heart of a Pharisee. Or 
The other option would be that you think that they don't deserve what they have because they're not good enough. Like they don't deserve what they have because something about them causes them to not be good enough. But you really just think that because you're trying to make yourself feel a little bit better. It's the heart of a Pharisee. Those are the two options. So do you struggle to celebrate other people's victories? Next question. Do you see your sin as less significant than other people's? Do you see your sin as less significant than other people's? You know, you're like, at least I only struggle with anger. It could be pornography. It could be, could be something huge. At least I only struggle with pride. I'm not going out and like getting drunk on the weekends. I'm not doing drugs. Like at, at least it's only those things. There's a story in scripture, a very famous story of the Pharisees, where um, there's this woman that the Bible says is caught in the act of adultery. It's a humiliating situation. This woman's caught in the act of adultery. The Pharisees find out, they grab this woman, drag her into a public place, and they all pick up stones, and they're ready to stone her to death because of the sin that she's committed. They're like, it breaks God's law, we've got to stone her. Jesus is, is, is there in the mix, he's not participating, he, he's observing. The Pharisees look at him, they say, Jesus, would we be right to stone this woman? Would we not be right because she's breaking the law of God? And Jesus was like, yeah, probably. We'll start like this. How about the one who's not sinned? How about you be the one to throw the first stone? And one by one by one, the stones start to fall out of the hands of the Pharisees because they know deep down that their sin, it, it, it is not, it's not less than the sin of this woman. That, that all sins ultimately are, are equal at the foot of the cross. That like they are no better than this woman. Jesus reminds them of that in this story. Do you see your sin as less significant than other people's? An older brother doesn't recognize the weight of their sin because they're too focused on the sins of other people. Here's another question. Are you always skeptical of spiritual growth in the lives of other people? Are you always skeptical of spiritual growth in the lives of other people? Like, like, let's say you're around campus, you're in class, and you know somebody that you don't really know super well, but you know a little bit about their life and kind of what they're into, they come up to you and they're like, hey, you know, I want to try out church again for the first time. I, I've, been, I've been doing my own thing for a long time, and, and I just want to give church another shot. What's your first reaction? Is it one of like skepticism? Like, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Or do you come alongside them? Do you spur them on? Do you encourage them? See, an older brother, a Pharisee, is skeptical of the spiritual growth of others because they have to be the most spiritual in the room. What we see in this story is this older brother He's got this, this attitude, this mindset. I refuse to go into the party. And what we see is that the father comes out. Like that is the same truth that we have been talking about for three weeks. That the father moves towards the heart of sinners. 
He doesn't stay in the party and wait on the older brother to come to him. But the father is moved towards you because of your sin. And this is what we see. He comes to the older brother. And what does he do when he gets there? It's, it's not like this, this moment of punishment. It's not like getting the part. Like it's not like the, you talk but your teeth don't move kind of thing. Like it's not that. It's like he, uh, the, many of your Bibles might say entreats them. Some of your Bibles might, might use the word begs. Like he's begging his son, like, come on, man. Like, just, just come in. Like, like, just come and celebrate with us. I want you to be in here. And you're just, you're staying out, outside. And it grieves my heart. He begs him to come back in. And as we see this conversation progress, the son, he will not budge. And it's in this conversation with his father that we get a picture as to why. Why is it that he refuses to go into the party? It's going to lead us to our second mindset of the older brother. We said the first mindset is I refuse, but the second mindset is I deserve. I deserve. Let's finish reading this parable. We'll start in, um, in verse, see where we, where, where we left off last time. We'll start in 28. He was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him or, or begged him. But the older brother, he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never even gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And it would almost seem like there should be more to the story. But the story ends and the older brothers left outside the party. It's a dangerous mindset to be in. Uh, I told you that second mindset is I deserve. What's going on in those verses that we just read? Well, what's going on is the older brother is kind of trying to explain to his father what's going on in his heart. And he does this by kind of like giving him a scoreboard. He's like, have you not noticed that I, like I have been working for you my whole life. I've never turned my back on you. I've never disobeyed you. I've never done anything that you've asked me not to do. Meanwhile, this, this prodigal son, my brother, he turned his back on you. He basically said, I wish you were dead. And now, like, you're having a party for him? After all that I've done, you've never even given me, I guess this is a big deal, you've never even given me a goat. But you're willing to kill the fatted calf for him? Like that, that doesn't add up. This son, this, this older brother, he begins to build a scoreboard. Look what I've done. Now look what he's done. I deserve this party, not him. He builds this scoreboard, but what he's missing is that the father doesn't keep score. Like the father does not keep score. The score doesn't matter to the father because the gospel is not based on merit. It's not based on, on like how good you've done. It's not 
earned or lost by pointing to some sort of cosmic scoreboard. Look how good I've done. Look how bad they've done. I deserve this. They don't. The son, he he totally misunderstands. It's like he's playing a different game altogether. He says, look at all that I've done for you. Some of your Bibles might even say, look at all the slaving I've done for you. I've been slaving for you in verse 29. Like the son looks at his father and he's basically saying, like, I have done so much for you. I've helped you out. You needed me. And here's where that's wrong. The father is not looking for a slave. He's looking for a son. He's not looking for for somebody to do things for him because he doesn't need our help. Like the Bible literally refers to him as the helper. God does not need our help. He doesn't need our works. He doesn't need slaves who do things for him. He does not need our help. He's not after slaves. He's after sons and daughters. The older brother He thought that he was a slave. And because he thought that he was a slave and that he was doing things to to help and and like benefit his father, he missed out on the fact that he was a son. He missed out on the fact that like he had so much more than just working for his father. See, because he's a son, it means he's also an heir. An heir. Like, like there's an inheritance to follow. Galatians chapter 4, verse 7 uh, says, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if, uh, and if a son, then an heir through God. Like, in other words, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're not, you're not a slave. You're a son. And if you're a son or a daughter, that means that you're an heir. And an heir means that you have an inheritance that's coming to you. See, the things that you do for the Lord, like, like you, you read in your Bible, you spend in time in prayer, they're not things that you're doing to try to earn something from the Lord. Those should be things that you're doing because you're an heir, because there's an inheritance coming to you. And the inheritance that's coming to you is that you get to spend forever and ever and ever and ever with God in his kingdom. And so meanwhile, on this earth, I'm going to do everything that I can to build this kingdom that's one day coming to me. That's what the mindset uh, should look like. But this older brother, man, he, he misses it. He misses it. Because you're his son or his daughter, his kingdom, it belongs to you. And it's your responsibility to build you don't do things for God because you, you have this idea that you're going to earn something from God or you think that God needs you. And that's not how it works. A great question for us tonight as we search our heart is this. Why do you do what you do? Why do you read the Bible? Why do you pray? Why do you serve? Like those are the right things to do But so was working in the field. Like the older brother was doing the right things for the wrong reasons. Why do you do the things you do? Is it because you really love him? Or is it because you expect something in return? Is it because you see yourself as a son or a daughter? Or is it because you think that in order to be a son or daughter, you have to do those things?
Why is it that you do what you do? Uh, um, my wife and I have been dating, or dating, married for four years. We, uh, we dated a while back. And um, so we've been married now for four and a half years, and um, we've pretty much got everything figured out. So there's that. Not really. Um, but we've been, we've been married for a little while now, and um, I've started to learn her a little bit better over the course of time. And one of the things that I have learned about her is, is I've learned that, you know, there are little things that I can do for her that mean a lot. You know, one of the things that she absolutely loves is flowers. Now, this is like kind of a, my secret weapon. Like every now and then I'll stop by on the way home from work. I'll grab some, some flowers and, and it's, you know, it's not all the time. It's like, it's like my special play, right? Uh, I will get, get some flowers and I'll bring them home and, and I'll, I'll give them to her and say, hey, just want to let you know I love you and I'm thankful for you. Now, I want you to imagine that, uh, let's say tonight, on the way home from Revive, I uh, stop at somewhere that sells flowers at 10 o'clock at night, I pick up some flowers, I drop them off on the counter. Hey, just want to let you know I love you and I'm thankful for you and I got you these. And then, you know, go on to the next day. And tomorrow, I stop somewhere, I grab some flowers when, she, you know, when, when we're not together. I bring them home. I set them on the counter. Hey, just want to let you know I love you so much. I'm grateful for you, and I got you these. And then day three, Saturday rolls around. Stop, get some flowers, put them on the counter. Got you these. I love you. I'm thankful for you. And I do that for four, five, six, seven days. A few things are going to happen. One, we're going to have no counter space. So that's... I mean, we don't have much as is, and then you start putting vases of flowers all over the place. So, so that's, that's the first thing, but really what's going to happen is eventually she's going she's gonna to start to wonder, what is going on? She, she's going to say something along the lines of like, Logan, don't get me wrong. This is awesome, and I really appreciate it, but why are you doing it? Like, why, why, do, you, why do you keep bringing flowers home every single day? What if I responded to her in that moment and I said, because I don't want you to stop loving me? Do you realize, like, that would be offensive? Like, that, that would be very offensive for me to say, I'm doing this to you so that you don't stop loving me. Would that not be, would, like, that, that would hurt. Why? Because to her, it looks like I, I misunderstand her love for me. It looks like I'm questioning it. It's offensive. She would say, like, you don't understand my love. My love is not based on what you do for me. I love you unconditionally. You don't have to do these things in order to get me to love you. I, I'm always going to love you. It does not matter what you do. It's the heart behind it. And in the same way for us, it's offensive to the Father when we try to earn his love by doing things for him. Like flowers can be meaningful. Flowers every day can be meaningful in some world. But like as we read God's word, as we spend time with him in prayer, it is, it is offensive to him if we're doing those things because we think we have to earn his love. If we're doing those things because we're trying to get something from him. So why do you do what you do? Why do you pray? Why do you read the Bible? Is it because you really love God or is it because you expect something in return? 
the older brother, he did what he did because he expected to be rewarded in return. That's why we see what he says when he's like, hey, you didn't even get me a goat. Like I did all this stuff. You've done nothing for me so that I can celebrate with my friends. He expected to be rewarded in return. That's why he did what he did. It's not because he really loved the father. So why do you do what you do? The older brother, he looks at the father. He says, you've not given me anything. And that could not be further from the truth, right? Like this mindset of I deserve, it creates this incredible sense of entitlement in the older brother. He looks at him and says, you've not given me a single thing. You've given this, this, this prodigal son, you've given him everything and you've given me nothing. What about provision? Like food? A place to live? I, I've given you my love. I've given you work to do. Like I've, I've given you so much. And, and the, son, the older brother, he totally misses it. He totally misses it. Why? He misses it because... Get this, you can never be thankful for that which you are entitled to. And the older brother is, is become so entitled because of these things that he's done, he thinks that his father owes him in return. The father had given him so much, but he'd missed it all. The heart of the older brother is dangerous. He says, I refuse to go to the party. I, I deserve all of these things because of what I've done for you. It's the heart of the older brother. It's the heart of a Pharisee. As, as the band comes back out, um, I, I want to end with this. Any beach people in here? Any people who like, that's your thing? You love to go to the beach, spring break, family vacation? Awesome. So I grew up at the beach. Um, I'm here to tell you that the beach is a much better vacation spot than it is a place to live. So um, keep vacationing there. I wouldn't suggest moving there, but to each their own. That's my, that's my humble opinion. Um, but I will say this. If you've been to the beach a lot with your family or, um, you know, like you've been on vacation trips, things like that, you will have probably had a conversation that sounds something like this with parents or whoever was watching you. They'll say, hey, as you go out in the water, Make sure that you keep your eyes on me. Make, make sure that you, you have an eye on where I'm at. Why? Because when you go to the beach, if you've never been to the ocean before, this is going to be like mind-blowing to you. I still don't know how it works. Um, but you go out into the water, and you're just doing your thing, you know, floating, whatever people do in the ocean, right? And if you keep your eye on the shore, you keep your eye on the people that you came with that are waiting there on the shore for you, you're good because, you know, you're, you kind of can stay in front of them. But if you take your eyes off of them, it's not long that you look back at the shore and you realize that you have slowly drifted further and further and further away. And you're like, wait a second, like, did they leave? Like, what is going on? Where, why, why has everything changed? And so, You've, you've drifted slowly and slowly and slowly away. And that's really like the heart of the older brother. It's a slow drift. Your eyes get distracted. Like you, you take your eyes off of Jesus. And it, like, it can feel like your eyes are still on him. But something happens, you take your eyes off of him and there's this slow drift. You look back to the shore and you're like, where is he? Well, here's the good news. Like, 
If you've ever been in that situation, you know, you've drifted, you go back to the shore, you, you step onto the sand, you walk up, you're looking around, you're like, did they leave? Like, am I in Miami? Like, you know, what is the deal? All the buildings are gone. Ultimately, all you have to do is walk back a little ways, and you'll find that the people who brought you, like, they're still there. Like, if you, if you came with, with your father or your mother, like, they have not moved. It's you. Which means that you are never, you have never drifted too far to run back to the Father. You have, you have never drifted too far, no matter how, how far you've settled into this mindset of the older brother, the, the Pharisee. You have not drifted too far. You, you are always, always close enough to come back to the Father. And, and what you will find as you come back is that the Father has not moved away from you, that He is waiting, just like He is the prodigal son. He is waiting with open arms for you to come back to Him. That's the invitation that's on the table for you tonight. We have studied for three weeks this, this parable. Truth that like the Father is ready and willing for people to come back to Him. Like that He is searching for. He's pursuing you. Maybe tonight like you're here because God is pursuing you. I don't know how you got here. I don't know what circumstances got you here. Maybe you've been coming for a long time. Maybe it's your first time. Maybe there was just like, you know, a classmate, a friend that dragged you here and you're like, I didn't really want to come to begin with. I wonder if you're not here tonight because God is chasing you down, because he's pursuing you, because he wants a relationship with you. He wants you to come back to him. So I haven't done this in a few weeks, um, but I want to ask, I want to invite us all to bow our heads, close our eyes. I just want to give a real simple invitation. For, for whatever reason, it could be, man, that you look a lot like the older brother. It could be that you look a lot like the prodigal son, that you have wandered far, that your life is a mess, and you know that you need the father again. But for whatever reason, maybe you have, maybe you have strayed. Your heart is not with the father. I just want to invite you, like, hey, if you're, if you're willing to say tonight, Lord, I've got to come back. I'm willing to receive that invitation. Like, I know that you will receive me with open arms and compassion. If tonight you're like, hey, I need to come back to the Father, would you just slip your hand up in the air? Just slip your hand up in the air, nice and high. Awesome. Like, there, that is multiple people. Nice and high. Let's see them. Nice and high. Awesome. Awesome. Some of you are the prodigal son. Some of you are the older brother. But all of you get welcomed back to the Father with open arms. You guys can look back up at me. You know who you are, those of you who raised your hand. I'm going to be standing down front. Anne Marie's going to be over here to the side. We'd love to have a conversation with you on just what that looks like. Like, it's so simple. But we want to help you take your next steps in, in your relationship with Jesus. We want to help you come back to the Father. And so tonight, we're about to sing. I'll tell you about that in just a second. But we're about to sing together. And I want to invite you just during the song, slip out, come find myself or Anne-Marie. And uh, we just love to have a quick conversation with you. My microphone will be off. She don't even have a microphone, so that's good. Uh, and we would just love to, um, to share with you a little bit about what your next steps um, can be.
But we're about to sing a song, um, and you know this song. This song is called Homecoming. Um, And this song is all about the celebration that takes place when the prodigal son comes home. Like when people come back to the father. I'm going to invite us all to stand. And um, the band's about to lead us in this song, but I want to charge you guys tonight with this. Week one, we talked about the father. Talked about how the father, he comes after that which was lost. He doesn't just sit back and wait on that which was lost to come to him. He goes after you. Last week at Hancock Park, we talked about the prodigal son, that you are not too far, that you can come back to God. And tonight we talked about the older brother, the heart of the Pharisee. A dangerous place to be in. But this last week, if you noticed, the whole thing, it centered around an event in the story. It's centered around a party, right? Like a good one. I don't know what a fattened calf is. That didn't come up in my study. Uh, but I'd imagine it's a great thing, right? Like they are partying. They are celebrating. Why? Because a sinner has come home. And we get a chance to see that tonight. And so as we sing this song that's called Homecoming, that is about the very parable that, we're, that we've studied the past three weeks, can we sing this song? Like, with that in mind, that there's a party in heaven when a sinner that was lost comes home to the Father and becomes found? Like, this is not something that should just, should ju- we should just take for granted. This is something that should stir a deep affection for our Father because our Father is a sinner-saving God. And so as we sing, I want to invite you to do so. Uh, not just like, you know, hum, hum the song and, you know, sway a little bit. Like, can we have just a little bit of a party? And, I'm, you know, you don't got to start lapping the place. But, like, <laughs> let's sing this song like we understand how big of a deal this is. That there are people that were lost that are now found. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. And, Lord, we are thankful Uh, For your heart, we're thankful that you chase us down, that you're not content for us to be separated from you forever. But God, in your goodness and your grace, you sent your son Jesus to pay the punishment that we owe because of our sin. Father, I pray tonight that people would come back to you, whether they're uh, more like the prodigal son, whether they're more like the older brother. Lord, you know their heart, and we ask that you would do a work. And so, God, I'm so, so thankful for this story. I pray your blessing over uh, the rest of our time as we worship together. Would you be glorified in this, in this place? We praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.